Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for November 30th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our Red Circle uh, landing site. You click the red box that says Sponsor This Podcast, and, we can set it, and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join alongside my co-host and friend, Case Lowe. And Case, how's it going? It, you, you know, Dragon Gate has like the, their like January break. We decided to take a little bit of a November one. So I'm glad to get back in the saddle, but how are you doing today, bud? I'm good. This is our Eric Bischoff episode. We're back and better than ever and there is a lot to talk about. We did miss two weeks, which I think are the first two weeks that we haven't put out an episode this year. I know that I have missed a few, but I think you've done solos on those weeks. Uh, but r- real life came calling two weeks ago. Last week was Thanksgiving. And, you know, Mike and I were thankful to not be talking about Yamato's Open the Dreamgate run last week. So we are back. We now have to face reality with this title run. Yeah, we have to face reality with this title run, and we also have to face the reality that December's going to be nuts, folks. We'll, we'll run down the schedule at the end of the show. But yeah, no, uh, just a, a lot of this w- was me. Just, just all, everything kind of came together for that, and Dragon Gate was kind of on break, and really the only show that they had was that uh, uh, Kobe Sumbo Hall show, which we'll, we'll talk about when we talk about Corkin, because there's one thing on there that's worth talking, but that's not going to be... The focus of today, Case, on the 27th, they made their return to the Sendai Sun Festa Plaza for the uh, Gate of Origin. It was the uh, what well, we've been kind of dreading this show. I mean, this is not necessarily my favorite show. I think I, we have enough audio about me kind of slamming this show. But it's a show that happened. And uh, what's your big thoughts about the show off the top? I enjoyed the show. It is... 
arguably the same review that I, I gave to Dangerous Gate and Gate of Destiny, where these were these were good shows that I wanted to be great shows. And I watched the first half of this show live up through the Mochizuki versus Fuda match, which we'll be talking a lot about because I have a lot of thoughts on these rookies. I believe it or not, Mike, am once again, very excited about the future of this company. Something about these guys just pumping dojo kids out left and right continues to have me very giddy. But it was the same issue that Drangate has had all year. It was good, not great. It's really hard to say this is the show you need to start you need to start watching this promotion. If you fell off, jump back here. You need to see this, this, and this. There just hasn't been that this year. And I thought Kobe World and Speedstar Final were excellent shows, but those were shows that were pretty easy to parachute in. And then you were able, just with the finality of Masao Yoshino, to wipe your hands at the end of that weekend and go, okay, I'm good for now, and I'll catch you guys later. And I, I continue to hope that we have one of these shows just for the sake of buzz and drangy, because it makes our jobs a little bit more fun when, uh, when, you know, when more people are talking about this promotion. For the sake of buzz, I keep on waiting for that show to hit and for me to have to email these people and go, you need to watch this, this, and this. And then, you know, I, I'm waiting for some sort of Twitter buzz. And it's just not happening. But by no means that I think this was a bad show. Yeah, uh, I think that I am a little bit... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how like we discuss the show. Because I kind of came away from Gate of Origin, like, yeah, this was a three-hour show. It had a lot of interesting stuff on there. Only one match that I would call great, and even that great match I had a lot of issues with. But the, the the rookie stuff, you know I mean? That's always something that we're going to fiend for on VoiceGate. That's, that, I, I feel like that we kind of have cornered the market about obsessing about rookie talent here. Like, we might just end up, like, one day just doing wrestling perspectives, just talking about prospects one day. Because there was a lot of interesting stuff there, but then the rest of the show, I mean, the, the word that kind of came to me, and this was something that really, just to put the pen on it, was, like, my the, the taste in my mouth after the bell rang and the Dreamgate match. This was proficient. This was somewhat enjoyable. There's some stuff on the show I liked. I, I liked a good deal. But I kind of came away with this that this was like very much on the rails and dare I say a little bit soulless of a big show. Like it just was something that like after I was watching Pinke and Yamada, I was like, that match was very good to great. I think it's a four star match. But it just had like it, it just felt like you're like, okay, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen. And it just did not have like any underlying heat to it in a way. And that kind of was like my big takeaway. And I don't mean like heat, like crowd heat, because of course, COVID, but just uh, like it was just like eating a huge meal just for the fact of eating a huge meal to me. So Yeah, there's I, I'm there's been conflicted. a real there there's been a real lack of a hook in Dragon Gate this year. Of course, obviously, Team Taz's Hook has been absent from this promotion, and that is a damn shame because I think Hook would, would do very, very well in this promotion. But in the real sense, you know, it seems like for years and years and years, there was this big, broad discussion of when should I jump into Dragon Gate? When is the time? What show do I need to watch? And there just hasn't been that point this year. And again, it's not a promotion that's been bad. When I look at the landscape of pro wrestling 
as we approach the end of 2021 and I start, you know, uh, not contabulating, but rather tabulating my year end awards. When I look at promotion of the year, AEW slam dunk this year, I have enjoyed almost everything they've done. I watch their TV every week. I have loved their pay-per-views. I've loved their TV. I loved everything about them this year. They are the promotion of the year, but Dragon Gate, even with their faults, I think has still been very good. I think they've been more consistent than Noah on the sheer notion of the fact that they don't annoy me as much as New Japan. I think they've had a better year than New Japan. All Japan has practically not existed this year. I don't follow Joshi, so I don't have a read on those promotions. It's not like this has been a bad year, but given, I think, what we had in 2020, which was a company that, for the most part, once they hit the ground running, or what rather, once they hit the ground with limited capacity fans and the COVID restrictions in July, they seemed to hit the ground running. They were the promotion that adapted best to the COVID environment. And when the book of Dragon Gate is written and somebody asked me, what are the best years of the promotion? I will have to give 2020 a shout. I mean, we were coming on this podcast every week last year and just raving about this promotion and i specifically remember since we're we're now a year removed from it the hokkaido triple shot that we'll preview briefly we don't have cards at the time of this recording and review next week that hokkaido triple shot the first week of december that was just a turning point in my brain of like you know what i i have just adored this promotion this year everything they've done has really resonated with me i love the generational warfare and this company gets it and then they have that weird lull in January and February, and they have never been able to to clear that bar this year, despite the fact that I think Shun Skywalker is, if not the most outstanding wrestler of the year, he is second to Kenny Omega, despite the fact that Yamato, for all of the shit that I've talked about him over the past three months, has objectively been one of the best wrestlers in the world this year, despite the fact that this promotion, again, produces young talent better than anybody it's been a bit of an unsatisfying year in this promotion and it's a very it's it's almost like a first world problem that that this year's <laughs> Drangate, where you have match the year contender after match the year contender after match the year contender with shun skywalker and with sbk versus jfk and with yamato versus Minora and with Minora versus kz these are high-end elite world-class matches we've had storylines this year one that's concluding about 12 hours after we're done recording this with dragon die and die inferno and diamante and shun skywalker there have been storylines that have been invested in this year there's been again i you know because mike and i analyze wrestling the way we do we really care about the cultivation of young talent and this promotion has done that i have a statistic uh that, that i'll bring up later that just blew my mind looking back at some old stuff uh from this time last year what was being said about this promotion to how things have panned out it's really incredible to look at but it's a it's a first world problem because the the dragon gate isn't as good as it was last year and i just i can't have that i i think like this is such a for for one dragon gate as we both know, like it does not operate no as what like people would consider normally. Like a lot of a lot of its decisions are made because they have a certain schedule they keep. So January and February, th there will usually be a great Dreamgate match, and and then we're pretty much that's it. And then everything was so focused towards like we had the the 
Dead or Alive cage match set like two months ahead of time, and it was kind of like waiting around. And then the specter of Masato Yoshino's impending uh, retirement, and then them deciding to have every match needed to have uh, two, every title needed to have two defenses on that week. And then since then, there's been good, there's been solid stuff. There's been like Minora versus Yamato, uh, JFK versus SBK, but it just like with the exception of what's going on with the Diaz, I struggle to think of a storyline here in a promotion that usually is a very story-intensive promotion. Like, for people who just, like, parachute in for, like, the recommended stuff, like, this might be the easiest year for them because there's just not a lot to a bunch of stuff that's been happening since Beats Our Final. And it's just something that, for me, like, yeah, it, it, it is kind of a... A, a problem that we're making when in comparison we can compare that to other promotions with that are still like flailing like i mean there's it, it the, the, there's some stuff in japan that you, that when you look at it you're like oh that's really not good they might not get out of this whereas dragon gate just keeps on chugging in a way but it's, it's something where because and maybe this is just me and my read into it because everything is so focused on really only on one storyline then you have this very uh, dissatisfying, for lack of a better word, Yamato title run, and you and I think we had like the most dissatisfying uh, Dreamgate match of this title run, with the exception of the weirdness that we had at Gate of Destiny. So it's just something that like we'll, we'll, when we talk about best years, yes, 2020, as you said, will be tossed in there in the pile as it should be. But when we talk about weird or like dissatisfying years. I'm going to keep on going back to 2021, even though Speed Star Final might be one of my favorite shows in Dragon System history. It's just such a bizarre year. And it just. Yeah, it's. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but again, you know, you think about this promotion that's existed for over 20 years now. Let's let's say we we zoom out even more and say 20 years from now, what what years or what was defined in every year of the promotion? Well, you have, you know, T2P and you have Darkness Dragon versus Dragon Kid. Blood Generation versus Doofix or Blood Warriors versus Junction 3. Also, Yamato versus Kai, which lasted a year plus. These guys have been attached at the hip since September of 2020. And it was like the clouds parted and the sun came out in July of this year when they had that no rope match. And I said it after the match. I said it when we were talking to Jay right before Kobe World. And I said it when we got into the, the horrific, dangerous gate build this year. Yamato versus Kai was the perfect blow off to that feud. And it's like this promotion just can't help itself. And they continue to go back to this thing where it's not, it doesn't have the same impact as a Hulk and Shingo or a Tozawa and Shingo or a Shima and Mochizuki, not from the star power perspective or from the generational perspective, just from the chemistry perspective. These guys are fine opponents, but I, I don't look at them and go like, God, you know, I mean, Diamante and Estrella have better chemistry than Yamato and Kai. And we're, we're dealing with another Yamato versus Kai match. It's really disappointing to say. Do we just think that like, they don't know what to do with Kai if he's not doing stuff around Yamato, like he is a freelancer. Like you don't have to constantly be like, well, Kai's here. So I guess he's looking like he's going to be the uh, final gate match. <laughs> like, like we don't have to do this. It's just weird because I, I like him when he's in the same area as SB Kento and Ata 
as like the third guy on a triangle gate team, I have come to the conclusion and I came to it earlier this year. It took me, Garen, it took me a long time to get to this point, but I now see the value of Kai and Dragon Gate. Now, if he left tomorrow, I wouldn't exactly be crying. Okay. I, if we could, if we could trade him for Cosmo Sakamoto, I would make the trade in a heartbeat. I see the value in Kai. I don't see him as a main event challenger, though, and that is my my issue here. And every time I want to say something positive about Yamato or even positive about Yamato versus Kai, there are two or three new detractors that come into my way. And it's just it's just a program that I'm sick of. I, we've seen it. And I, I, I thought we had the perfect blow off in July. And as I said at the time, if that was Kai's last match in this promotion, you know, this is a guy that came in in the summer of 2018 dragon gate. Once the strong heart split happen, you know, it's not like the dojo at the time was loaded with all of these young guys. They were actually having trouble filling out cards. And so in the Tokyo area, they brought in Hiroshi Yamato and they brought in Kai. I was very much against both of those moves. Those are two guys that I have never been into. And Yamato did not stick around for a long time. Kai, on the other hand, not only pinned Shingo Takagi in his second-to-last singles match in Dragon Gate, which still blows my mind, but he has stuck around, and it was pretty much three years exactly from his debut to that no-ropes match with Yamato, and had he left then, just from a, a poetic sensibility, I would have said all the pain, all the bad matches, all the bad angles that Kai was involved in, it was all worth it, because that no-ropes match is exactly what it should have been, and it closed the book on a story that needed to end it closed it in a very satisfying way. And here we are five months later and Dragon Gate has reopened that book. And they said, we are writing more chapters to this story, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe because they like having some sense of finality with final gate. Maybe. Why am I talking myself into thinking that, that this is going to be the last match between this, the two no, of them? Is, Mike, this is going to headline Memorial gate next year. It's going to be right. Yamato versus Kai again. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. Man, now I'm kind of a... I, I didn't want to come back on our first show in two weeks and just be like a total bummer for the first 15 minutes, but we, we got to talk about a match that... Well, well let, let, let me spin it. Uh, go, go ahead, but I, I'll be a bummer, and then I'm going to turn it around. I am hashtag PMA. All right, all right. So I think we should work from the uh, top of the card back on this. Uh, the main event of... Uh, Gato Origin, which, by the way, will be up on the network with full production. No English, though, because they didn't have space, apparently. But it'll be up on the network until the 4th. So, I mean, you could watch a whole lot of Dragon Gate over the next week. If there was a time to sign up for the Dragon Gate network, it is right now. If you want the bang for your buck, there's just going to be live shows and everything just everywhere. But attendance 787, uh, pretty... I would say it's pretty solid case. I know you looked more into this than I did this time, but it, for Dragon Gate in an area that's kind of in a rough spot wrestling wise, being able to pull that with, you know, the limited provisions there came off pretty well. Yes. So we're going to talk more about attendance in the Sendai area a little bit later on in the show. But yes, other than a New Japan show, on june 26th which i think shows the drawing power of new japan where that was a nothing show i mean that was a it was a road to or a kazuna road show with a los and gobernables eight-man tag main event master wato was in the semi-main that show was nothing and they still drew 937 there but noah ran this building this year uh that show was headlined 
by Marafuji versus Sagara in a GHC heavyweight title match. And the semi-main event was Muto and Ogawa versus Kiyomiya and Kotaro Suzuki. And that show only drew 658 people. So the number that Drangate put in this building is a very respectable number this year. Stardom also ran this building earlier this year and drew 319. That was on July 24th. I couldn't tell just because I don't know anything about Stardom. Just looking at that show, that was the Stardom Cinderella Summer Tour and Sendai. I couldn't tell if that was a big show or not, but I do know that they drew 319 people regardless. I know that I bel- or I'm pretty certain that when Utami Hayashishida won the, the uh, red belt, it was in this building and the attendance was really bad too. So Okay, so so stardom is a non-factor in this area at least with the information I have and again that will that will come into play later on. Yep, but the main event, Yamato making his third successful defense of his fifth title run over his high-end teammate uh Benkei with Ragnarok in 20 minutes. 28 minutes and 20 seconds and uh did you should i go negative first and then you could do the compliment sandwich afterwards yeah because i can spin this match into a positive so please uh, rid yourself of whatever negative energy you have the floor is yours there was absolutely this was a title match that was set up because Binkei was mad his name wasn't mentioned in a, and Yamato's Gate of Destiny show close promo of future challengers and we, we got that level of heat in this match like the most notable thing for me was oh Ben came out with a pole arm that's pretty neat but the work here was fine it just there was nothing to it like it was like oh we started it off with because Benkei was a collegiate wrestler Yamato will be wrestling in hard hit in a hard hit rules match against on his side against Minoru Suzuki later this month or later in December by the time you hear it. so later this month so he was more than game for that there was some pretty funny stuff like uh uh Benkei throwing Yamato just through the second rope to the floor and then Yamato selling his back but then it, it it's something that it's it, it's the Yamato problem. Like, like this match very much is the Yamato's dream game problem for me. It just was very soulless, very much was going through the hits. They started just doing headbutts, which was pretty tight towards the end. That kind of like perked my eyebrow up. And then uh Kai, who insisted in being involved, ran in and tried to be a referee in Rio Saito. Uh you're doing great, general manager. You did a great job making sure he wasn't a part of this. And then there was a a random torture rack that I don't remember Binke ever doing a torture rack. Like for a guy of his size, you would think he would be doing like that kind of like Argentine backbreaker torture rack kind of move. But that was like a setup to the Tochima sleeper and to the finisher. And it was all the work there was all fine. I think for people who parachute in would probably come away with liking this match a whole lot more than I can. But this is uh, the, this is like a completion grade four star match where I'm like, you did everything right here. There wasn't anything here that was actively bad, but I came away from this match going like, yeah, this is what happened, and that was a half hour. And I just, I I can't think of me being like as negative on a four-star plus match as I am about this one. I wrote about this in the written review. It's over at VoicesWrestling.com now. You can read it, and I try not to necessarily echo those thoughts in written form and then audio form, but I'm, I'm going to hear because I came to the conclusion watching Yamato in this match that this reign just reeks of TNA Impact Wrestling. It is one of those weird deals where 10 to 15 years from now, someone is going to sit down on their Dragon Gate network. I think these shows will have been uploaded to the network by then, 10 years from now. They're going to sit down, and they're going to watch him versus Shun, 
and then they're going to watch him versus Yamato, and then they're going to watch him versus Hulk, and then him versus Ben K, and then him versus Kai, and God willing, there will be a defense after that Kai match. I don't care who it is against, but come 2022, I need Yamato defending that gold at least one more time. They're going to watch those matches in success in succession, and they're going to think, oh my God, this is an outstanding open the dream gate run this is as good as it gets every match has been four plus stars they've all had great finishes at least for the menorah match and for the bb hulk match the crowd were invested in it this is good stuff and then hopefully they'll come across my writing or i'm bitching about this rain every single month because the builds to these matches have been horrendous and if you follow this promotion on a week-to-week basis it is really, really hard to get excited about Yamato's title run, not only from the booking, which I think has been an active deterrent, but something that I, I learned in the Voices of Wrestling Discord this past week is just how many fans in our bubble were turned off by KZ not winning the Dreamgate belt at the end of July, first day of August, Speedstar Final and Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival. I knew people had an attachment to KZ, but I really started just kind of living that alternate reality where this is what we could have had KZ as the top dog with all of these fresh challengers versus what we have with Yamato, which look, he's 40 years old and he's the biggest star in the company. I understand exactly why they gave him this title because they if they didn't do it now, they weren't ever going to do it again. He gets that record-setting fifth title win, and now he has what what should be, at least what I think is going to be, this one last run as the true top guy in the promotion. I get it. It makes sense from that perspective. But as we talked about previewing Yamato's title win, okay, he has the Kota Minora match, and what else? And we have started to run into that what else problem. And at no point when I was sitting in my apartment in the middle of July brainstorming possible outcomes for the Dreamgate title at the end of that weekend, the biggest weekend in the company's history, did I think we were going to get Yamato versus Ben K? And I especially didn't think the build was going to be again that that Ben K was mad that his name wasn't said in a promo. Because I came on here two weeks ago and I said, Mike... I followed this promotion as closely as anybody in the world on the English speaking side of the world. I don't know why Ben K is mad. I can't follow this story at all. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And you filled me in because it was such a minor detail that led to this big title match. And all of that has been awful. It's been frustrating. I just have this like queasy feeling once Drangate on these big shows gets to the top of the card because I, it's just like, oh God, what? What are they going to do with Yamato this time? Like, I just don't want to deal with it almost. I would rather just shut the show off after they have SB Kento and JFK shoot an angle or after UT wrestles a really fun match because I know whatever is coming after that is going to cause me to think in ways that I don't necessarily want to. It's that TNA thing where Impact is the worst wrestling show of all time. But if you buy the pay-per-view, Samoa Joe is going to have a pretty good match and in a vacuum, you're okay with that. And that is ultimately the positive here is that all of these matches have been very good. This was, to me, an objectively great match. Even if I didn't love the Kai story, I fucking loved Kai's face when he came down to the ring in the referee uniform and did the fast count, three count. Like, he played his role to perfection. 
I just didn't necessarily want that role in this match. But at the end of the day, you know, I, again, I'm doing some year-end stuff. Spoiler alert, a group of illustrious wrestling journalists are ranking the 50 best wrestlers in the world again this year. And as I look at my spreadsheet, Yamato has just about as many four-star matches as Kenny Omega and Shingo Takagi and Shun Skywalker. He's truly been one of the best wrestlers in the world this year. And this Ben K match goes on that resume. This was a great classic style Dreamgate match, a slow build with a big finish. And by the end of it, I really enjoyed it. But God, it is such a headache to get to that point. Yeah, and it, it's something that, like, there's aspects of this that I really enjoyed. Like, Kai, Kai's character work, like, as much as we're loath to see Kai and Yamato uh, match 10, it, it, he does his job quite well. It's just, you know, we, we've talked a lot about that. But it's just, like, all these things happened, and maybe this is something that it's like, all right, this is a defense and one... uh in a neighboring area of Japan to Yamato's hometown. So Yamato feels like he should have a title match here. So they wanted to do a title match here. And Benkei was a, was a solid choice here. And I just think that these two guys, and we've seen them in Dreamgate matches before, their chemistry is okay with it. Like, I think I liked the Dangerous Gate 2019 match a fair bit more than this. And it's just like, I, I'm coming back to it and I, I'm trying not to spiral into this. It just felt soulless. It just felt like this is checkbox. Like this is a thing that like, yeah, no, for like people who parachute and for, and, and for someone on the Dragon Gate Network 20 years. So now they're like, oh yeah, this Yamato run, this sounds sick. I mean, look at all these matches and all the matches are very good to great here. Like I totally get that there, but in the moment, it's just very dissatisfying. Yeah, again, you, you mentioned the lack of soul, or at one point you mentioned the lack of heat, and you met it in a, a, almost a more metaf metaf metaphorical sense, as I get that word out finally, but in the very literal sense, this match was dead, and it was dead in Tokyo, and it was dead in Kobe, and it was dead in Sendai, and ultimately, Yamato versus Ben K 2021, this version was a failed experiment. I mean, it, it never got over in any building that we saw, despite the fact that this was a very good match, it reminded me, if anything, that Ben K is a really, really good main event wrestler, and he's been just kind of in limbo for a long time. I'm not necessarily worried about him because I know he's he's capable of when that flip needs to be switched. Okay, he's back to being one of the best wrestlers in the world. I, I think this is just going to kind of be his career going forward, is that it's going to be a lot of nothing, nothing, nothing Dreamgate match. Hopefully the future Dreamgate matches have a better build than this one. But if anything, this is an exercise in reminding yourself at just how good Ben K can be when the lights are on brightest. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's something that if you look at his last year, like there could have been a and other eras of this promotion, he could have just basically been hidden forever you know coming out of his concussion and all of that like that could have been a a dark mark that would take forever to scrub clean but he's great you know it's something that again i, I i'm gonna be real interested for people who just like watch big dragon gate shows that because they'll be like oh yeah pink is great he should be the dream gate champion i'm wondering if we're going to be getting that again 
because I feel like that this is a match that would kind of confirm whatever bias you have about that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, this is this is a good match. If you hold Ben K stock and you pontificate as to why does this promotion not do more with him? This is the match for you. This is going to be your shit. And then you'll be incredibly frustrated when he's, you know, working eight mans next week. <laughs> so uh, any more thoughts about the main event before we get to the other title match at Gate of Origin? I went four and a quarter on it. I I think it's worth watching. It's, it's, it's especially worth watching if you didn't watch the November Corkin Hall show and you didn't watch the Kobe Sambo Hall show from a few weeks ago. If you haven't seen that, definitely go watch this match. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, people who just parachute in, because I think yeah, exactly. they will have yeah, yeah. a great sense of enjoyment. Uh, so my main event was Natural Vibes, uh, Susumu Yokosuka and King Shimizu attempting their what would have been their fourth defense of the Open the Twin Gate Championship. However, they would fall to new generation Doi Yoshi as Naruki Doi and Takashi Yoshida became the 54th Open the Twin Gate Champions after what I am calling the Doi, the new Doi Yoshi combo of Doi 5's Bakutari sliding kick and then the uh, pomping bomber on Susumi Yokosuka in 15 minutes and 32 seconds. I I just don't understand what is going on with Naruki Doi. Like I ju- I just gave you know that whole monologue about how Ben K's fine. He's in the right spot. This is his career, and it's a positive. Naruki Doi, not in a unit, just hanging out with Takashi Yoshida, who, as I mentioned in my my written review. Yoshida has now held the Twin Gate belts twice this year, and he's held them with two of the single greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. It is just amazing to me. And in all things considered, Mike, outside of 2007, when he was in New Hazard, and 2008, when he was teaming with Yamato in Real Hazard, this might be the most enjoyable Takashi Yoshida calendar year that has ever existed. Yeah, like I would say that there's a legit argument for Takashi Yoshida most improved just because of how enjoyable he's been this year because he's just, it, it's such a stark contrast to basically the 12 years post 2008 in a way. I, I, I almost choked on my drink when you said that a wrestler who's been wrestling for 15 years has a case for most improved this year. How many times did they get that to The Miz and Dolph Ziggler? I mean, I. It's, it's, the most backhanded compliment I've ever experienced in my entire life was I'm a proud guy of that. who debuted in 2006 as a as a real shot at most improved this year. Oh my goodness! All right, go ahead, Mike. Fifteenth anniversary, you know, a week, and I I will send something to his homecoming show for that anniversary show that says most improved of 2021. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I thought this was fine, like aggressively fine, <laughs> as Case is trying to compose himself after I broke That him. really caught me off guard. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Oh, um, boy. It, this was just like, it's something that I was talking with a friend after I watched the show, and they were about the point of like, don't you think that Susumi Yokosuka and King Shimizu had more in the tank for this title run and yeah absolutely this was like they 
they were unquestionably the MVPs outside of Shun Skywalker of the doubleheader at Kobe World Cannon Hall. They've been having awesome defenses. They've been a great tag team. Of course, you have so you know, in this match case, we have probably two of the top five uh, all-time Dragon System tag team workers and Susumi Okoska and Naruki Doi. And, you know, this match was kind of a letdown when you consider that. But, you know, now new era, new generation Doyoshi's champion. I really would have loved to see more out of the Natural Vibes champion team. Uh, the match itself, like, it was just kind of, like, the, the, there was all, and there was, like, the direct claim, like, leading up to it. But in a lot of ways for me, like, I enjoyed a lot of it. It was like, oh, yeah, Shimizu is great. Uh, Yokosuka is incredible. Uh, Naruki Doi, like, getting up on the top rope immediately or, or to prevent the top rope exploder that Susumi Yokosuka did. I mean, that's showing, like, hey, I'm, hey, I've been wrestling you for 20 years. I know you do this move. Don't try that shit on me. And, and like, that, like, raised my eyebrow here. And all I came up with was, like, this was just a very good but kind of, like, disappointing finish, which, you know, that's that sucks, but it makes sense. Like, what are you going to do with Naruki Doi now if he lost this match? Like, then we're really wondering what the hell is up with Naruki Doi at that point. And, you know, Takashi Yoshida entered the year uh, looking for guidance, got guidance, became a two-time Twin Gate champion, and most improved 2021, baby. I, I say this in earnest. You mentioned that Doi and Yokosuka are two of, you know, probably the top five greatest tag workers in the in the history of the Dragon System. Shimizu was not far behind them, and I and I don't have the the mental cap- capability right now to create that list out of thin air of the five best individual tag workers. But between Big T and Big Ben and Big E, and now King Shimizu, it's Sumi Yokosuka. He has a a tag team resume that is as impressive as anybody in wrestling going right now. And my frustration with this match isn't necessarily that Doi and Yoshida won. It is that Shimizu and Yokosuka lost because you are exactly right. This is a team that I thought had so much more in the tank. We never got a defense against a masquerade team, which I think is a real missed opportunity to not have Shimizu and Yokosuka versus Minora and Jason Lee just seems like a waste. That is a match that should have happened and it should have happened this year during this run. And it's a real shame that that's not going to happen. I'm sure Doi and Yoshida, it's going to be a short-lived reign. I'm sure it's going to be fine. They'll probably lose it to whatever RED combination they wrestle at Final Gate. That, that, that has zero defense title run written all over it. But then again, I've been wrong about everything with Naruki Doi this year, so who knows? Maybe they'll hold it for a year and break the Shima and Dragon Kid record. All I know is that it was a fine match. Uh, have you noticed King Shimizu has been busting out a cartwheel lately? Yes, that was my first note in my uh, in my notebook for this match. Is, was King Shimizu did a cartwheel? It's a flawless cartwheel. His athleticism is, I, I don't say this facetiously, his athleticism is incredible. He is so agile. And I just, this is, this is the thing with Shimizu. And someone mentioned this to me. I was talking to somebody about the show last week. And we were just talking about Yamato versus Kai and just the blah feeling that that has. And this dude brought up a great point. He was like, can we not just get Yamato versus Shimizu? Like, why is he, he's so good. And, you know, granted, he just had a pretty successful Twin Gate run, but it just seems like, man, if he, if he is given the opportunity, I think he could take it up even another level. He remains 
one of the single most exciting figures in all of pro wrestling to me in the same way that i'm just waiting for dragon daya to really put it all together and hit his prime shimizu is a guy who we know behind the scenes he's a he's a bit of a dummy and he seems to have fit into this role where it's almost like susumu was his chaperone during this title reign and it seemed like everything was going well because he was attached at the hip to susumu but man, if this guy could just take another step up, I really think the the onlookers of the wrestling world, the people that don't have two eyes on this promotion that only veer in every once in a while, I really think they would be blown away by just how talented this guy could be. And this was all sparked by him doing a picture perfect cartwheel. <laughs> I mean, he was a nationally ranked shot put a thrower in high school. So this guy does have some bona fides to him. He's he's not just a thick-looking dude who sometimes choke slams people and then you know does a couple of dancing moves which you know get people angry. But he's he's awesome, and it's something that I wonder if Susumu was his accountability buddy. I wonder if that was the thing with these the kind of I'm sorry, what does MJF call it? The accountability buddy. Maybe m- maybe he is the Sean Spears. I'm sorry, Susumu. I should never compare you to Sean Spears. <laughs> you deserve much more than that. I I, I hereby retract my last ten seconds here. It, it, it's just something that like you watch this match and you're like, all right. And it, it, it's just like, our, they hit everything there. It was very good. It just came away of going like, man, we could have had a mentally match before this. Cause like when you brought that up, I was like, in my head, I was like, man, we really could have had Jason Lee versus Koda, Jason Lee and Koda Minoru at just slot in here. I mean, they, they're not doing anything. They were in a masquerade versus RED tag, and they're not a focus of the masquerade versus RED feud right now. So, like, they could have done that. I mean, but I guess if you're going to have new generation Doyoshi, they have to have the Twin Gates, I guess. I mean, there's no reason for it to kind of just kick around there. But uh, it's kind of notable that we did have a... Uh, we did have that the, uh, the aided King Splash that they've been winning all their matches with was kicked out of. So... That was kind of notable, and that's when I knew like the title change was on because like no, they've been beating everyone with that. I went three and a quarter, and then maybe that's not fair for this match, but it just was just kind of there to me. No, that's a, that's the same rating I gave it. It okay. was, and at no point did it ever feel like a great match. It never really got into that high gear. It didn't have, it didn't have that frothing at the mouth, can't miss twin gate finishing stretch that most of the outside of the strong machines match i think at strong machines defense the rest of these shimizu yokosuka title defenses have had just that intensity that really i think only a twin gate match has there are a lot of great tag teams in the world right now but nothing feels quite like a twin gate match when a twin gate match is on and this match didn't have that feeling i went three and a quarter as well no i i am totally with you on that it just did not have that feeling and you know, I know that Susumu and Doi have had, like, great feeling Twin Gate matches in the past, but, you know, just not there. Uh, moving down to the non-belt matches, uh, we had the aforementioned 10-man tag. Uh, full complement of Masquerade, Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, Dragon Daya, and La Estrella versus R.E.D., Eita, Kaido, Shida, H... Uh, I almost called it H-Y-O. That tells you how, <laughs> how to begin. And Hyo. Hyo. Uh, Diamante and Daya Inferno. Dragon Daya won with the DDDDT, which KZ, who was on commentary for this match, was losing his shit the entire time. 
Yeah, Casey was really, really fun on commentary. This was an enjoyable outing from, I will say, all 11 men involved. If you want to throw Casey into the bucket here, I will let you give your thoughts on the match here. I really want to talk about the post-match, and we can kind of bleed that into uh, the the small Cork and Hall preview that we're going to do. Right, yeah. So I thought that this was, like, it, it, it's something that's kind of a shame that like we've now seen Masquerade versus RED so much that we're kind of inured to it because like you get the awesome uh four man stump puller on Dragon Dia. Everyone hits their spots. It's all done great. This one was like an only nine minute version of it. And it just it did a great job of getting the twelve one matches of the the, the uh, Mascara contra Mascara tag match. It it really did a great job building for that. And then of course the post match where Diamante ripped off the mask of Shun Skywalker, and then when they immediately grabbed, went for a towel, he ripped the towel off of that. They started beating the crap out of everyone. Shun Skywalker just lost it at that point, and Dragon Dia tried to escape up the rampway and got kicked in the stomach, and that cracked me up. Yeah, I thought the post-match felt really hot, and in the match I really enjoyed. Look, it was Masquerade versus R.E.D., I have nothing new to add other than that it was very good. These matches are always very good, and this one was no different. But I, I expressed last month, I guess at the beginning of November, when they did the Dragon Dia versus Dia Inferno singles match, and the no finish there that led to Shun and Diamante being added to this mask versus mask match, which again will have probably happened by the time you're hearing this, which is why we're not doing a big extensive preview of it. But I, I talked about how you know, Dragon Dia versus Dia Inferno has had its flaws. I've given this feud the benefit of the doubt because I think the payoff is going to be worth it. It's been a rocky road to get to this point. The inclusion of Shun and Diamante into what is now just this masked man feud, I have found to be absolutely fascinating. I love the dynamic of Shun, one, trusting Yuki Yoshioka, who he went to Mexico with, and Shun says he asked Yoshioka, are you Dai Inferno? And Yoshioka said, no, I'm in Mexico. And that was good enough for Shun. No further questions needed to be asked. He was good with that. He doesn't want Dragon Daya unmasking another masked wrestler unless it is in the proper context of a mask versus mask match. And I think that's all really compelling storytelling. And then you have Diamante in here, who I, I thought got a decent reaction when he pulled off Shun's mask at the end of this match and then repeated or, and repeatedly attacked him after the cover-up. This was just the, a really nice closing angle to a match that perhaps my expectations of it from an in-ring perspective are too high. Maybe it's going to be more angle heavy than I'd like, but I am really expecting this mask versus mask tag match to be one of the better Gate matches of the year. I think you have Shun and Diamante and Daya who are three of, for my money, the best wrestlers in the world. And then you have Diane Inferno, who, unmasked, is very much capable of reaching their level as well. We'll see what he has in that gimmick for what should be the last time. So I, I really like the post-match to this. It just reemphasized the fact that I am very much excited about what is to come at that December 1st Cork and Hall show. Yeah, and, and that's why I made a point earlier when I was bemoaning, like, just the general state of the promotion, that they've done everything here. Like, exactly as one would want. And even adding in shooting Diamante in the way they did just has been kind of like the extra spice for a feud that, like, we all knew it was going to be uh, Daya versus Inferno. Like, 
as soon as Inferno came out, I was like, all right, this is going to be something for Yoshioka to bide his time. He gets to be in a big program in his return, and then it gets Daya his first mask. Well, like it, it, like it was very clear there, but adding in someone like Shun Skywalker, who he's my most outstanding wrestler in the world in 2021. I don't think there's going to be anything in the next 31 days to change that. And then Diamante, who I know facetiously I said that uh, Takashi Yoshida should be the uh, 2021 most improved wrestler. Really, Diamante has gone from uh, someone who was a detriment to passable to good to very good to be someone that whenever he's on screen, I can't take my eyes off him. So like they're, they're, they've done everything here, like full marks for this Apuesta's match. And it's something that, you know, it'll be interesting to see after a 12-1 how they kind of reconcile all of this, knowing that they have the big weekend. They, they only have one travel day between Corkin and Hokkaido, which is nuts. It's always nuts when they do this, but they have a big month of stuff. They have this the two Corkin month. This is the uh, uh, final gate, and then the fan appreciation show in Kobe. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see how over the next four weeks the the shakeout of here and, and the resolution because I think everything they've done in the lead up here from a feud that you know you know was very awkward because of extenuating circumstances have come together and has been heated up in exactly the right way going into tomorrow's uh, Mascara Contra Mascara a Puesas match. I talked earlier about how I've been ranking the 50 best wrestlers of the year this year, and one of the shocking conclusions that I came to, not many wrestlers better than Diamante this year, someone who fared very well on my ballot, someone who I think given what he's done in this feud, what he's done not with, but for La Estrella, has really aided his candidacy in my eyes, he, again, just that two-year transformation from someone that Mike and I used to call one of the worst Gaijins ever brought into Dragon Gate to, again, now just a just a legitimately great wrestler. There's no other way to slice it. It has been a really fun transformation, and I hope we see a great payoff to a story that I have very much enjoyed. Yeah, no, I it's something where tomorrow... I'm going to carve time where I can watch this match unspoiled because I, I, I think we all know what the finish will be, but just to see all of the post match and see how things kind of lead to that point, just I, I'm fascinated by that, and I'm really excited to see where it goes from from there. And then we get into the undercard. We had a lot of future matches here. Uh, future versus main roster is what I'm going to call them. The first one that we're going to talk about, this was match five, so it was not the first uh, debut match, but it was Ryo Fuda's debut match as he fell to Misaki Mochizuki in five minutes and 41 seconds with a twister. In case you tweeted something that, as soon as you tweeted it before I watched the show, I kind of had that suck in my mind, but now I for, I like fully like want to get this into digital audio print. Rio Fuda is going to be a problem. It's it's unbelievable. So there's there's three rookies we're going to talk about on this show because they debuted two of them here and then another one in his hometown on the next day. And as of this recording, that match is not on the Drangate Network. The Showa Sato debut match against Ben K. It will be uploaded. I just do not know when at this point. I've got kind of a different talking point for each of those wrestlers. And I want to talk about with Fuda sort of this big picture thing before we get into the match. And I have a lot to say about this match, both about Fuda 
and Mochizuki, but I was I was actually looking through our old open voice gate tweets looking for something earlier this afternoon, and I came across something that I shared at the beginning of November in 2020. This was an excerpt from the first observer of November, where Dave said, and I quote, while New Japan gets a lot of credit for the Shibata crew, nobody has the level of young talent that Dragon Gate has right now with the Sheeta, Skywalker, Dai Inferno, Kota Minora, Dragon Daya, Strong Machine J, Kabune, Kamei, and Kakuta. All are 26 or under, and most are 20 to 22, with Kabune, Kamei, and Kakuta all being legitimate rookies. And again, this was last year. And he ends this sentence with Dragon Gate also has another 10 wrestlers waiting to debut. And this was in November of 2020. And since then, we have seen seven wrestlers debut, starting with La Estrella last December, the Ahashi brothers, Takumi Hayakawa, Takuma Fujiwara, Raya Fuda here, and Showa Sato. That is remarkable that there are seven rookies within a year of one another. And I messed up a few weeks ago. We were talking about the Observer Rookie of the Year this year. And in in my mind, the cutoff was October 1st, but I was incorrect. It's actually September 1st. So if you were voting in those awards, do not vote for the Yahashi brothers. They are not eligible this year. Vote for Dante Martin or vote for La Estrella. Those are the two guys that deserve to win, in my opinion. Next year, at least as of now, there are going to be six rookies in the running for Rookie of the Year, assuming none of them get hurt, none of them just flee in the middle of the night, and whatever else can happen, six debuts are going to be 2022 rookies, and there might not be a better one than Ryu Fuda. Mike, what did you think of his debut performance? Oh, I thought he rocked. He's going to be the one that we talked about parachuters earlier. He's going to be the parachuters guy. Like, I think that's very easy to see, especially when you, like, and, and we'll get more into him later. We compare and contrast him to the guy he debuted the same day, uh, Takuma Fujiwara, who I think, uh, I'll get more into this there. Like, like Ryo Fuda is already more complete than Takuma uh, Fujiwara, and that's no slight to Fujiwara, considering Fujiwara is the baby of the class. But, boy, he just, like, started be like, oh, I know who you are, Misaki Mochizuki. You kick a lot. Guess what? I like striking too. And he put it together in a way that like it was enthralling. Like this was my second favorite match on the showcase. Like I thought that this was exceptional. Misaki Mochizuki proves yet again why he's one of the five best wrestlers of all time. And just like really working this all out just collision car wreck kick your head off sprint was just it was phenomenal. I went three and a half stars on it. I, I came away with this going like, all right, Ryu Fuda is going to be a problem because he's already a little bit older. He's bigger. And you look at him, you're like, all right, you, you could already see what his forecast is. And it's a lot closer to coming true than a lot of the people in his uh, class. This is this is a special match. This is a debut match that I'm going to remember for a long time because you have Fuda, who again, just, it, you know, I could tell just from the way Drangate was promoting this match that he was going to be someone that was good off the bat. He carried himself with such a confidence, and it's just, it's remarkable to see anybody in, in a new profession, no matter how old they are, to carry themselves the way he did, I thought was incredibly impressive. And then he hit Mochizuki with a straight high kick to the head. It knocked Mochizuki off of his feet. And I jumped off my couch. I couldn't believe 
that a rookie had kicked Masaki Mochizuki like that and taken him to the canvas. And for as good as Fuda was, given the parameters of his debut, the simple style that he worked, the fact that he seemed to be working with a guy in his comfort zone, I mentioned this in the VOW Discord, and I mean it, when the ultimate Masaki Mochizuki compilation is built, which I'm pretty sure Rob Naylor has actually asked us for in the past. We should probably get a spreadsheet together. This, <laughs> this is one of those matches. Of course, he has the Shingo matches and the Yokosuka matches and the BB Hulk matches and whatever else he's done. The single, and, and that's just in the singles capacity. He's got the Don Fuji tags against Shingo and Yamato and Shingo and Tozawa, or yeah, Shingo and Tozawa and Speed Muscle. He's got all of the trio stuff he's done with Fuji and Magnitude Kishiwana and the rest of the team veterans. It, there is not an aspect of this game that this guy hasn't crushed, but this individually is a match that really highlights why Masaka, Masaki Mochizuki is so good because he was just vicious in this calculated way. He gets knocked down by that high kick and then he rises up almost like the undertaker. And he did that a few different times in this match where Fuda would get the best of him. And instead of boiling over and instead of just, you know, unleashing this all-out fury on the rookie he took his time and he almost just seemed to delight in kicking the living shit out of this kid and it was enthralling this was a short match but it had depth to it it had this weird emotion that i just really really enjoyed it and for again i i love food i think he's going to be a star this was a Mochizuki match, and the end of it with Mochizuki uh, having food in that submission, the rookie reaches the ropes, and then they stand face-to-face -face in the middle of the ring as Mochizuki is holding this kid's leg, and I thought Fuda was going to wind up and slap Mochizuki as hard as he could, and instead what happened was he delivered his weakest strikes of the match. He had no energy left of the tank. He just threw whatever he had left at Mochizuki, and whatever he had left was nothing. And Mochizuki shrugged it off and hit him with a twister and pinned him. And oh my God, it was so efficient. This was so good. Of course, I don't want to steal the spotlight from the rookie. I want to talk about Mochizuki again, where he was just, this was, this is why he is who he is. And this is why Mike and I say he's one of the five best wrestlers of all time. And then you have this rookie. And again, there's a lot of new names in this promotion. It's going to be really, I mean, if you, Let's just say you were a Drangit USA fan who enjoyed watching this promotion. And then when Shima left, let's just say that was the reason. When Shima left, you stopped watching for whatever reason. You got busy with life and this promotion fell out of favor with Western fans and whatever. You lost you lost track of it and now you want back in. Oh my God, there are so many new names. I, you know what? That's a poor example. You could have stopped watching in January and popped back in. And there are so many new names. And I see how that might be overwhelming for somebody but remember the name Ryu Fuda. This kid is going to be, as Mike said, and as I've said already, a problem. It, it, it's something that, uh, not to belabor the point, you brought up like the, the, the Rob Naylor comp list. Uh, the thing about Masaki Mochizuki, when you started listing off matches, like the ones I immediately wanted to talk about were the KZ title defense. The uh, match, he, he had a match against Yosuke San Maria that was like this as well whereas like i don't think anyone does other than like maybe nick bockwinkle weirdly enough does calculating as well 
as Masaki Mochizuki. That's what I'm talking about. More Nick Nick Bockwinkle references on Open the Voice Gate. If we can make that happen, Mike, I'm going to be a happy camper. But you get what I'm saying, right? Oh, like, completely. Like oh, just... that, that's, it, it, Mochizuki, and again, uh, to piggyback off of your point, Mochizuki sometimes has a weird AWA energy to him, and that is a bizarre thing to say about a Dragon Gate wrestler, but it is entirely true now that you make that comparison. And, and this was like one of those calculated matches that it, it, it's one of those matches that like I, I look I will look back at this gate of origin and, and kind of groan when I look at it at as a whole just because of just like how just dissatisfied I was with the title matches. But boy, it's hard for me not to watch the show and have a smile or think about the show and have a smile on my face when I think about Masaki Mochizuki versus Ryo Fuda. It was a whole lot of fun. Uh, the next match we don't let's see if we actually talk as long as this match actually happened this was another future class of 2021 guy versus a main roster mainstay it was bb hulk versus takumi hayakawa uh bb hulk won in a minute and 40 seconds in case my one note i had in this match was oh hulk doesn't care about this kid enough that he's not going to take off his hoodie oh fuck he took off his hoodie but he won with a modified brain buster in one minute and 40 seconds this was awesome. I need to see a Hayakawa trial series where he wrestles about seven matches and just has this match over and over again. He has the Hulk version of this match and the Susumu version of this match, and the Don Fuji version of this match. It just the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats because this is a winning formula. And BB Hulk on two big shows in a row has had two very good singles matches. And that is finding the positive in 2021. Good for you, Hulk. You managed to have <laughs> you, you had about a combined 20 minutes in the ring between the two matches, but you did good. You did good. Uh, this one was only 100 seconds. Uh, we did go under the match length there. Uh, we are not going to put Hayakawa in a trial series with either Suji Kondo or Misaki Mochizuki because we don't want to break the kid. But I'm, the, 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 I'm, af- I'm afraid that Kondo could throw him high enough to like hit the ceiling in Cork and Hall. I, that's uh, just lo- logistically. Kondo versus Hayakawa is a safety issue. Yeah, uh, so in the EE Discord, we have a joke about how we want to see wrestlers throw people. And we call it the Ward throw because Wardlow like threw someone really far one time and we were really amused by it. <laughs> Shuchi Kondo might set the world record if he, if he gets to throw Takumi Hayakawa. Think about that Dragon Daya spot that he always does in the R.E.D. matches, which, by the way, in that R.E.D. versus Masquerade match, I think Daya set a new record for height on. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if they have a name for it. I'm calling it the indoor parachute just because that is what it looks like. <laughs> it, it's supposed to be a quadruple stump puller, but the indoor parachute is a lot better of a name. Yeah, it's the it's the indoor parachute. Come on, R.E.D. What are you guys doing? And Takumi Hayakawa, I'm just I'm just afraid again. Wrestlers can do what they want with their bodies. I am the opposite of the safety police. But I just, again, legitimately would be worried for Hayakawa if they threw him into the indoor parachute. I don't want to see the outcome of that because I'm afraid Dragon Daya is going to get seriously hurt doing that because he's going too <laughs> high in the air. It's like a it's like a jackass stunt at this point. Where it's like, hey, I'm Dragon Daya. Watch me fall on my face every single time he wrestles R.E.D. Yeah, no, and if it's Takumi Hayakawa, he might actually uh, leave orbit. He might he might become a satellite, <laughs> if that's the case. Just the velocity of him coming back down to the mat, I just, I'm worried <laughs> about it. Oh, 
Uh, Houston, uh, we have a unidentified flying object coming out of Tokyo, Japan. It has left orbit here. And, and then it's like, what's well, all happening in Japan? It's like, oh, there's been a hole put in the building that uh, Corkin Hall is. I know that there's floors above it, but there's just going to be a Takumiakawa-sized hole as he clears it and is right now orbiting with the International Space Station. Yeah, if we, anybody yeah, wants to, if anybody wants to build us a photo of Takumi Hayakawa orbiting in space at Open Voice, get on Twitter. I would like to see that. That'd be some great fan art, some tremendous yeah, fan just, art. Just an idea. If anybody has time on their hands within the next week, at Open Voice, get on Twitter. I, I would like to see that. Absolutely. Uh, match three. This was the, it, the this was the old timers game. This was Ultimo Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Suchi Kondo versus KZ, Ginky Horiguchi, and Gamma. Gigi Horiguchi lost to a La Magistral that Ultimo does this sometimes where he keeps the La Magistral on for like 10 seconds afterwards to be a dick. And he did it to Ginky Horiguchi here. Uh, it was nice to see everyone got let outside. <laughs> I have two points about this match. One, Dragon Kid convinced Ultimo Dragon to do the rubber band attack and it backfired on Ultimo and watching him take that bump of all bumps, Ultimo, a man who refuses to leave his feet more often than not, but he shot himself to the concrete upon the exercise band hitting him in the face. I love that. And I also want to pose a question to you because we've had KZ okay. back in the fold for a month and a half now, and KZ has done approximately nothing since returning. And I just want to vibe check hey. on your thoughts on, on KZ at this point. Hey, he is an excellent color commentary, Tater. He <laughs> probably lifted that match by a full quarter star in my books. Uh, it's just weird because now you take the belts off of uh, off of Shimizu and Susumu, so you could have a pretty strong Triangle Gate team if you wanted, but it just kind of feels like in a way that he, he is kind of a man without country right now, even though he's leading his unit. He's just kind of there. I mean, he... He hasn't, he's not wrestling differently. It's just, it, it, I think that's like the core thing about Dragon Gate 2021. We've talked about Nuruki Doi kind of being adrift. KZ now feels adrift as well. Yes. And I, if I were a betting man, I would say we're getting RED versus Natural Vibes, probably KZ, Susumu, and Shimizu in the Triangle Gate match at Final Gate. Or probably some hodgepodge of teams. They like doing a big Triangle Gate match there. So, it's one of those things that I, I felt like I needed to mention just to to feel you out there. Oh, sure. My, my thoughts remain that I'm not worried about it because I think outside of KZ, Natural Vibes is so entertaining that it just it's hard, it's almost hard for me to care about is KZ doing enough? Is this the right role for him? Because ultimately, this is his unit and he's cultivating success around him with Shimizu and Yokosuka and UT and, and Jackie Funky Kamei, not even from a KFA perspective, but just for my own personal enjoyment. Those four guys are lighting my world on fire. And it, as KZ is kind of the overseer of natural vibes. It's hard for me to point and complain and go, I wish he was doing something else because I like the bulk of this unit so much that at this point, I'm just waiting for him to have that flip switch as so mm -hmm. many other Dragon Gate wrestlers do where, okay, he can turn it on and he's back in the main event scene and he's going to, you know, build to a big match and then lose a big match. I'm, I'm okay with that at this point. I think it's weird that he came back from injury, rushed back from injury, as we learned, just given how stubborn he is, rushed back from injury and then went to doing nothing. But I, I can't come up with a concrete issue that I have with it. It's just a little weird. 
Yeah, yeah. And you didn't mention Ginky Horiguchi. Uh, Ginky was kind of the MVP of this match. Like, like Ginky is doing his thing. I, I really think that Ginky's role is very interesting because I think it's very deliberate, the fact that you have Jackie, Funky, Kamei in this unit with KZ and Ginky. And watching this match, I was like, oh, yeah, no, Ginky Horiguchi. There's a whole lot left in the tank, you know? And I felt like he was kind of the glue in the old in the old timers game there. Yeah, Horiguchi is in an interesting spot. I we talked about it at Kobe World this past year when I didn't really love his Brave Gay match. I do think his days of being a great wrestler are behind him, but that also doesn't mean that he doesn't serve value because for a fun little six man like this, you're exactly right. This was the Genki Horiguchi show, and we were all just living in that world for a minute. Yeah, yeah, and I mean. You know, he's the greatest uh, ringside second of all time. So, I mean, even if he's not wrestling great, you still have him. Like, no one gets into his his, his teammates' matches as much as Ginky Horiguchi. So, he definitely has excess value, in my opinion. Uh, match two was the second uh, debut match, or rather was the first one. Takuma Fujiwara debut match. Kagatora defeated him in six minutes and 32 seconds with a brutal-looking Michinoku driver variant. And... uh. I just want to throw this out here about Fujiwara, and I want to get your response to this. I think in comparison to Shoya Sato, who we'll talk about later, who obviously like that they have plans for, uh, Ryu Fuda, who is the problem, uh, Takumi Hayakawa, who might be an astronaut if he doesn't know, he'll know soon enough. Uh, I look at Fujiwara as like the blank canvas because there's a lot to like about him. He is the youngest person in this class, and you like look at him, you're like, all right, he's still he's still kind of a little bit of a lanky kid. And I don't want to say kid, he he's 20 years old, I believe. But but he's younger than anyone else. Like it's like he's gonna get muscle on him. And you like look at how he wrestles, and it's like, okay, this is a template for a Dragon Gate wrestler. And I'm really fascinated because he is a little tall, especially in comparison to recent debutees. But I think that there's something to him. I think that there's he 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 is a very likable character, I feel like. Like I look at it like all the photos and he has like the best smile in the company like you can't look at him smiling and not go like all right Fujiwara I'm smiling too back at you but he's fascinating to me because he because I feel like that there's like there's been so much direction with a lot of the rookies as of late but he's kind of the blank canvas and it'll be interesting to see what comes of that so in my review I compared him to coach Minora in the sense that Minora was this bridge between the class of 2016 and Ben K, who we knew was going to be good right away, and Shun Skywalker, who was pretty exciting. We didn't necessarily think this was going to be his future, but we knew he was going to be exciting. And Hyo, who jumped off the page right away, and Katsumi Takashima, who retired but had, you know, his debut match is one of our favorite matches in the history of Dragon Gate. And Yuki Oshioki had all this momentum of the class of 2016. And then towards the end of 2018, into the into the new generation, you had Dragon Daya and you had Strong Machine J, these very hype debuts, these very clear characters. And in the middle, you had Kota Minora, who debuted as a Black Tights young boy a year, or, or I'm sorry, a month later, had gear, very quickly developed a character in a long-term rivalry with Masaki Mochizuki, and then the Dojo Mochizuki era of his career took off. And before we knew it, Coach Minora was one of the best wrestlers in the world. And it just kind of happened under our noses because there was so much other stuff going on with his peers and so much noise going on 
that we just it's not that we ignored Minora, but it really took a slap across the face of this guy winning big main events against pushed main eventers to go oh oh that's he's he's as good as everybody else he's really really good and i could see just with the hubbub of the ahashi brothers and fuda and sato and not to mention the class of 2019 sb kento jackie funky kame hip-hop kakuda when he returns i can see this being a similar situation where we're gonna look up one day and takuma fujiwara is gonna be all over our spreadsheet and it's just going to have happened out of nowhere he did not have the confidence that Ryu Fuda had in his debut, but I thought this was a very competent debut match. I had no warning signs, no red flags coming out of this match. I thought he had a pretty good performance against Kagatora. Yeah, yeah, no, like that's pretty. I very much co-sign every point there. It, it's going to be fascinating. Like, it, I like the fact that he's going to be a little bit of a mystery. Like that, that I find that a little bit more compelling than it's like, oh yeah, Ryu Fuda is the problem. He's just going to come in there and just try to kick everyone's head off and just be like a bull in a china shop. Uh, it, it, it's fascinating to see how he's going to develop here. And, you know, I felt like he a, he had a very solid, nothing to be embarrassed about debut match. It, I, it, it's something that I'm very happy to see with the future class, to see everyone kind of finding a role and you know like having like like direction to it and the fact that we do have someone that's a little bit of a mystery here because like we looked at like the impromptu debut of takumi hayakawa and we both kind of were like it was solid but we don't know and we, we still he's still going to be someone that's going to have a lot of question marks on him fujiwara i don't know enough to have a single question mark about him other than you know i mean he's young and he didn't necessarily as you said like exhibited the confidence, but I mean, there's nothing here to be ashamed of in this match. This was a very solid, very good uh, three and a quarter star debut match. So I wanted to talk about the Tuhoku region for just a second, because when we had Jay on over the summer, he mentioned that this was an area, this Northeastern Japan region that Dragon Gate was really looking to build on and have some sort of business prosper here obviously sendai falls into this region and the reason that fujiwara debuted on this show is that he is from this area so i i started looking at just japanese the japanese wrestling landscape and i specifically looked at sendai and how they treat this exact market and i talked earlier about how you know new japan ran a nothing show with COVID capacity crowds, and they drew basically a thousand people this year. And Drangate, with a featured main event, did not draw that much. But outside of that, this year in the Sendai Sun Plaza, Drangate outdrew Stardom. They outdrew Noah with a huge GHC title match in Muto in the semi main event. And I am going to go out on a limb and say they outdrew the Sendai Girls show the next day. Am I, am I fair that Sendai Girls assumption because you would have a better idea than I do? I actually haven't seen uh, an attendance for that yet. Sendai Girls, Senjo's in a weird place without Shihiro Hashimoto around, but this is like their home region. Like it, It's interesting, I know we talked about it a little bit, just the overall kind of state of Sendai Girls in relation to Dragon Gate, because Sendai Girls did a lot of the local promotion. They had produce matches on these shows, and you could tell from like the audience like who was there for senjo and who was there from for dragon gate and that's no longer the case here i can't find an attendance for that uh sendai girls show 
It, it was from the yeah, 28th, no, right? I, I, yeah, I asked earlier uh, some people that would know, and they said they typically don't publish their attendance number. So I, I, I am assuming they did not draw as much as Drangate. If Sendai Girl's business is really hot right now and I'm unaware, please let me know. But I, I don't get the impression that is the case. So the, the, the small-scale point I'm making here is outside of New Japan – this is Drangate territory. If we want to zoom out even further, go pre-COVID and look at what Drangate did in this building, Gate of Origin 2018, which was Yoshino versus Yoshida, then opened the Dreamgate match main event. That was a an attendance of 1,600 people. And outside of New Japan, this area was largely ignored. The, the other big show that I can find from a promotion in the Sendai Sun Plaza is a champion carnival show from 2016, which only drew 1,200 people, and that was headlined by Zeus versus Suwama and also had Shingo versus Kento Miyahara on that show. It's not exactly apples to apples. It's apples to oranges here, but the point is, Drangate clearly has a business edge in this area. It's about whether or not they can truly capitalize on it. So I, I had this number in my head of when is the last time in this region since it's northeastern japan and hopefully this thought experiment make, thought experiment makes sense to you mike it makes sense to the listeners because it made sense to me and i was just i was just curious when was the last time in sendai that michinoku pro ran a show that drew 1000 fans or more because i think realistically in a non covid environment that is the bar that Drangate should be able to clear. If they run this Gate of Origin show every year going forward in this building, they should be able to clear 1,000 fans without holding their breath at any point. Amazingly, in 2018, Michinoku Pro ran two different shows that drew over 1,000 people, but I am not necessarily going to give them all the credit in the world. One was the Showa Pro Wrestling Festival in Sendai, which had... Ricky Choshu and Tetsumi Fujinami, two of the biggest draws of all time in the main event. Also, trivia fact, Grand Hamada's last match was on that show. And oh, wow. a few months, yes, and a few months earlier, they ran the Jensation Zaki 25th anniversary show in this building, the Sendai Sun Plaza, and drew just about 2,000 fans. So you have a Showa Festival show and an anniversary show over a thousand fans you zoom out a little bit more what's the most recent show after that well it's the jensei shinzaki 20th anniversary show in which they claim 2500 for in this building i don't know why i don't believe that number but i don't believe that number <laughs> so the uh, point is go ahead go ahead i was gonna say just because i don't think you mentioned it the reason why you're using michinoku pro is that michinoku pro what is based the and in, was known as the Tohoku region promotion during its peak. Like it, it was something that I, I, I don't know if I have the, the wording right, but I believe Michinoku means Northeast in Japanese. Yes. That was always my impression of it. Thank you for explaining that. I put the cart before the horse there. That is, I'm not picking on Michinoku pro when I'm about to give you some of these numbers because right. things were looking pretty good there with the Jinzei Shinzaki uh, anniversary shows. I got news for you. Things are going to get worse for Michinoku Pro going forward, but there's a very specific reason that I chose them because they are based in this region and in the same way that I would measure, say, All Japan or DDT success in Kobe with what Drangate does because they're based in Kobe. I feel the need to base Drangate's Sendai business 
off of what Michinoku Pro has done in this territory. And again, to me, with the information that I have, this is a fair comparison. If for some reason you feel it's not, at OpenVoiceGate, please let us know on Twitter why you don't think so. So outside of a Showa Festival show and Jinsei Shinzaki's 20th and 25th anniversary shows, I went on the hunt to find the last time that Michinoku Pro drew 1,000 fans or more to an indoor venue in Sendai. And I came up with two shows that I thought the dates were very interesting on. One, they drew 929 fans, which I will round up to 1,000, on September 1st, 2012, a Fukumen World League show. I thought that was a really high number, and I started to dig into how they drew that number. And it makes sense, given that the semi-main event was a Jushin Thunder Liger singles match, and the main event was Great Sasuke versus Heat, a.k.a. Minoru Tanaka, in a 20-minute singles match. That is a loaded show for Michinoku Pro in 2012. Put them right on the cusp of 1,000 fans. And, you know, give or take a few, they basically got there. But that was with importing Liger, having a Sasuke feature match, and having Minoru Tanaka come into this promotion as well. So that was 2012. And the last time that Michinoku Pro in Sendai drew a thousand fans to an indoor venue before that was August 22nd, 2004. A show that Pineapple Hina was on, the Toriumon X uh, graduate. Uh, this was the uh, Ken 45. Uh, Ken 45 was on this show as one of the Pineapple Boys. That is how long ago this was. A uh, Captain's Fall six-man loser team disbands Steel Cage Deathmatch headlined this show, and they put in just about 1,200 fans. The point of this exercise, Mike, hopefully this made sense to you. Hopefully this is a fair comparison. The reason I bring in Michinoku Pro attendance numbers from 2004 to now is to say that if Dragon Gate makes a conscious effort to build in this part of the country, it is theirs for the taking. DDT does not run here. NOAA barely runs here. All Japan does not run here. Stardom cannot draw here. And New Japan has their built-in market. New Japan draws very well in this promotion, or I'm sorry, in this part of town. But with the amount of Tohoku region wrestlers that have just debuted in a conscious effort, as Jay said, to draw in this part of the country, this can be yet another prefecture that Drangate draws in, which Noah cannot say, All Japan cannot say, DDT cannot say, and of course, Big Japan cannot say. This is why Drangate is the second biggest promotion in Japan. And there's one big name from the Tohoku region that I might have mentioned offhand here, though this is a big reason why they're trying to go here, Case. Do you know who's also from this region in the promotion? Who is that? Yamato is from Awate Prefecture, which is a part of Tohoku. Yes. So, so did that did that make sense? Was that it just oh, does absolutely. this need to be cut out of the podcast? Because I'm not confident that I delivered that as well as I could have, but do do those numbers make sense as to why this is a big deal that, again, outside of New Japan, no one draws here. And if Dragon Gate puts in a concerted effort to draw here, I have no reason to believe they will fail, given, again, Yamato and the rookies, one of which is Showa Sato, who we're going to talk about in just a second, as to why I think they could dominate this market going forward. No, I, I think you're dead on. I think everything you said there was valid and right. Uh, the only thing I, I would add on to is... 
a lot of people, a lot of promotions, especially nowadays, if they're running in this region, with the exception of Dragon Gate and the Bushi Road promotions, if they do draw here or they run here, more often than not, I would say it's probably a sold show, probably a sponsor being brought in there. So it's there's no incentive there. So Dragon Gate doing this actually shows like, hey, we might have an opportunity to corner the market here with people on with our Tohoku natives here. So it, it, it's something that when you like look at this, and especially when you compare and contrast the fact that they're going to be doing a, a tour of Hokkaido, which is the northern, the, the most populous northernmost uh, island in the archipelago, like it makes sense why they would. And the reason why they go run Hokkaido and why they always do a triple shot when they do so is because BB Hulk and KZ are from there. And when T Hawk was around, he was from that area as well. So it, it, it's pretty much part and parcel with dragon gates kind of co-op all right who are guys where are they from let's see what we can do there kind of thing i mean there's a reason why they always do so many homecoming shows yeah i mean you just you look at the map of of japan this is where i'm a little ignorant to it but just from the intel that i have you know they have their built-in business in hokkaido which you just explained they go there once or twice a year the building constantly changes last year they were in a pretty rough looking building but the shows are there the crowd seems to be there no matter what it seems like they do all right in hokkaido i just walked you through why they are continuing to expand business efforts in tohoku they obviously draw in Tokyo. They had, you know, their their Cork and Hall sellout streak for a long time. Other than the big New Japan shows, I I believe they have drawn as well as anybody else in Cork and Hall throughout the pandemic. They just haven't had the giant Tokyo era sh- Tokyo area shows the way that Noah and DDT have had uh, during the right. pandemic. So it's a little bit hard to measure your business there. In Chuba, they obviously have the Aichi market cornered down with Dragon Kid, with SB Kento, and with UT. They own Kanzai. That's Kyoto, Osaka, Hyogo, and Wakayama. They crush it there. Even in the Chugoku region, they have Okayama, which uh, we just they were just there for their their beach shows with the Kingpin, Garuk, and Mask. And in Kyosho, they obviously have their relationship with Kyushu Pro and all the work that they do in Fukuoka. So I'm sorry, uh, they were in uh, Okinawa. That's in uh, Kyushu, not right. Okayama. I apologize for that. But they were in Okinawa. So they crushed the Kyushu region as well. This is, what, five of the seven prefectures that they have clearly defined business in that they can draw in? Other than New Japan, I don't know a company that can say that. Yeah, and I mean, it's just part and parcel, again, of how they operate. And, you know, it's something that's like, oh, why were they always so focused in certain areas? Oh, well, they had a guy there. Or they, and after a while, you just really kind of build it up from there, and you kind of see what happens there. And I mean, that's why Wakayama ended up with the show. That's why they're trying to really focus on Sendai, and why they'll continue focusing on the Tohoku region. It, it's something that I find all really fascinating, and it's something that, like, even like the the, the Chubu region, that's where uh, Shingo Takagi was from. So that's why they always had like the big Yamanashi show there as well. So like, it, 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 I like doing this kind of thing. I like kind of doing this thing. I'm not cutting this out whatsoever, just because it gives you a sense of how Dragon Gate operates. And you can compare and contrast that with DDT, which is kind of like the clear example of a Tokyo company that always struggles when they leave Tokyo. So Dragon Gate does not necessarily focus on Tokyo because they see these uh, market inefficiencies in the layout of Japan. It's like, oh, we have all these guys from Tohoku. There's really not a lot of stuff going on there. The glory days of Michinoku Pro are far behind, behind us. Sendai girls would draw great because they would always work the area. So why don't we go in there? So 
I, I'm glad we did this detour. Uh, I'm trying to think back on the show. We talked about uh, Fujiwara, uh, the opener. Uh, well, real quick, Park. I've got, well, I've got oh, one more note on Fujiwara. I want to be sure to mention this now so I don't forget. Uh, this this picture is on our Twitter at Open Voicegate. Thank you to Jay for uh, giving me the proper context for this photo. But if you look at our Twitter, there is a picture of a young Takuma Fujiwara running the ropes in the Michinoku Pro Dojo with Toriyaman ex-graduate Taro Nohashi. And I asked Jay what the deal was with that. And he said that Fujiwara on his career day in middle school asked to go to the Michinoku Pro Dojo. And that right there makes him one of my favorite wrestlers. He has my undying support now. I don't know why, like in a very real sense, that really struck a chord with me. Of like in the same way that we talked about how UT has been a lifelong fan, we talked about a few weeks ago about how Dragon Daya went to the Toru Awashi 10th anniversary show and has that picture with Ultimo Dragon, which again just kind of, for lack of a better term, sorry to become very basic for a second, but it hit me in my feels. And something about that picture of Fujiwara as just a little kid in the Michinoku Pro Dojo running the ropes. I thought that was the greatest thing. So more power to Fujiwara. I think that is a great addition to his backstory, and I wish him the best in his career. Yeah, that's just like really cool. When I was in middle school, I thought I was going to become a journalist. We saw how that went. So you're here now. You're doing I'm journalism. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're doing a journalism here uh, on Open the Voice Gate uh, opener. Natural vibes uh, and Red Ut and Jackie Funky Kamei. It was Young Vibes versus Kai and SB Kento. Kai won with the immediate impact on UT. UT always takes the falls when he's teaming with Jackie Funky Kamei, which is very notable here. Uh, there was like the sick uh, passion into a wheelbarrow German suplex that I leapt off my couch during. Like Kai just like lifted him up during this. He's like, no, no, and just threw him over his head, and that rocked. There is going to be a Kai versus UT singles match at some point that we are both going to massively overrate, and no, nobody else is going to love the match as much as we will. But I, I can see King of Gate 2024, Kai versus UT, oh, baby. match number two in Osaka, and you and I are throwing four and a quarter stars at it. I, I will be annoying Joe Lanta saying you have to watch this match right now. And then later you get some matches <laughs> like, that, that was a fine little match. I'm like, yeah. UT is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Shut the fuck up. But the, <laughs> fuck off <laughs> i i love ut i don't think that that's like new things I, I this is what happens when we don't record for two weeks i just like start like just throwing fastballs over the plate in case shoot from just... the hip brother this is this is hour one and a half of open voice gate time this one things get weird my man <laughs> yeah yeah uh this was a fine enough opener uh jackie looked great in it uh sb kento is it's weird that like sb kento was in the opener and just kind of like felt like a passenger in this match even though they had the face-offs and they brawled a bit like it does kind of feel like this match in a lot of ways was more for kai to be a dickhead and and kamei to kind of sell a whole lot Yes, it was strange that this was a vehicle for Kai and not SB Kento versus JFK, but I, I get it given the way the main event went. I will ask you now, and again, we're recording this right before the December 1st Cork and Hall show. We'll be back next week to talk about the what I assume is going to be a huge fallout from that show, as well as the Hokkaido triple shot happening this weekend. Your prediction, open the Brave Gate Championship match, SB Kento versus Jackie Funky Kamei to the rematch in Tokyo. Who is leaving with the belt? I'm going to be on brand. He is my guy. 
I think May wins this here because I think that now is the time for SP Kento to do other things. I, I, they're not running this match back in Tokyo not to have Kame win, right? It's, it's the conundrum that I'm dealing with where, to me, the match that I was so excited about was SB Kento versus UT in Nagoya at their homecoming show because they share a homecoming show. And I just, I can't get that out of my head. But I also, I can't come up with a way for Jackie to lose so you're going to say JFK, I'm going to say SBK, and we will reconvene next week and talk about that match. So we're, we're going chalk here. You go with your guy, I go with my guy. <laughs> Makes sense. We are, uh, we are very partisan on this show. We are rooted with our beliefs, and we will not be changing those. I mean, you are a Kabuneist, and I respect that, but I think that it's just it's such a shame that you don't believe in Kameism. Like and so, and so, socially, Kamei is a lovely person, but the the, the fundamental, you know, like I look at things from a, a a business sense, and financially, I'm riding the SB Kento wave. All I'm going to say is when they start doing the checky lines again, see whose checky line is longer. Is it going to be, you know, SB Kento, the guy pushed through the star, or is it going to be the relatable, charming young man, Turtle Coon? That's such a, a fascinating threat to make. Of hey, see whose checky line is longer. Why, why don't you check that out for me, pal? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> did you just show up to Sambo Hall? You know, did, did you, <laughs> just somehow be in Kobe, Japan for that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Meet me in Kobe about this. All right. Oh God, hey, twenty twenty three. Let's let's make it happen. There we go. Uh, match zero. Punch Minaga and Problem Dragon. Uh, Problem Dragon one with a problem. Uh, Pancho Monaga wore a headband that quickly was kicked off his head, and that's all I got to say about that. I I didn't even include this in my review. I didn't. I, I, I noticed. Liked my, I liked my tweet about this. Of uh, the the show is starting over the dark match between Problem Dragon and Pancho Monaga because apparently we did something wrong, and I stand by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, more notable to me that the Hashi brothers weren't on this show than the fact that we had this uh, match zero. I mean, this is the this is the biggest match zero that you could have. I mean, these are the two most match zero wrestlers in the promotion. So of course they're going to be there as they're making the big foot forward and Tohoku to make sure that you are having the best representative of Dragon Gate, and that's why you start off the show with Punch Monaka and Problem Dragon. Mike, let's talk about what happened the day after Gate of Origin on that November 28th show in the Rookie that debuted there. Right. So this was actually Rio Saito's homecoming show as well, which, you know, fascinating, fascinating to me. Uh, at the least, this was the uh, this was in Yamagata, which is also in the Hoku region. They got 520 here. The, the match that matters is the Soya Sato debut match. Binke versus Soya Sato. Soya Sato loses to the spear in 9 minutes and 58 seconds, so longer than everyone else in the futures other than the Ahashi brothers. Of course, they're the large adult sons, so of course they got to have a little bit more time here. And Soya Sato is a fascinating figure case. Yes, uh, Mike has some intel about his judo background. I was talking to friend of the show, and I recommend you follow him on Twitter, at Lorenzo Music Rec, uh, the Archipelago sound system man himself. We were talking about Shoya Sato. He's based in Japan. He goes to uh, especially the Kobe Sambo Hall shows, and he is ridiculously high on this Shoya Sato fellow. And we were talking about 
why it seemed like his debut was being built up as a pretty big deal. And, you know, Mike and I follow all the wrestlers on Twitter, and it seemed like there was a lot of buzz about this guy debuting and, and what I learned. And unfortunately his bio is not up on the Dragon Gate website. I was hoping it was going to be up by the time we recorded this, but it's not. But the information that I got is that Sato is 29 years old, which is pretty unusual because the cutoff age for trying out for Dragon Gate is 25. But this is a guy who was a teacher in the local school system working between three schools. He was an advisor for the judo club and he always wanted to be a wrestler uh, in the midst of training, he got hurt pretty bad, but pushed through that and has now debuted on this show. Uh, I tweeted out at Open Voice Get on Twitter. The local news did a segment about his debut with uh, you have clips of the match there. So even though the match is not on the Drangate Network yet, you can watch clips of it on the local news broadcast. Again, that is uh, at Open Voice Get on Twitter where you can see that. And what I was told was basically, you know, him being a teacher and being from this area is really important. This is something that Drangit can leverage in the future when they are back in this part of the country. And the comparison that I made to Mike off the air was if this guy pans out, if he has talent, which I believe he does just given from the way he looks given from the way people in Japan have talked about this kid, it seems like worst case scenario, they might have a dragon kid in Aichi situation where once or twice a year, they can point to this guy and say, okay, draw our house in your hometown. And uh, if this kid lives up to the hype, he will be able to do that. Yeah, so he is a judo player. I This is something that I was kind of fascinated by, and I thought it was a lot bigger than it is. But the, the, the deal is is that I noticed that he was treating he was tweeting some trash between him and Hio, where Hio was like, oh, you're a judo player. That, that, that's so great. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm fourth Dan, which is fourth degree black belt which I was like, that's pretty high ranked. And then Hio said, well, I'm second Dan. And then I started searching to see rankings. Of course, there are uh, judo players in wrestling history. Uh, Ronda Rousey, it, of course, it was a judo player. Uh, judo Mike LaBelle was a 10th Dan black belt. Ronda Rousey and judo Mike, Le- Mike uh, LaBelle, or sorry, judo Gene LaBelle. I apologize there, Gene LaBelle. Uh, are the only two wrestlers that I could find record of who were higher ranked in judo than Soya Sato. It's worth noting, though, that like fourth degree, I was uh, Mark Pickering, one of the voices of Pro Wrestling Noah, pointed out that, it, that there it's not as like prestigious as, of course, like sixth degree or tenth degree. Like the higher you go up, as with most martial arts, the less people who have this rank here. But there's just a lot of wrestlers who are in Japan who have judo black belts, but there are probably only first or second degree because you do it as a kid and you leave it when you're young because this guy was like, was a advisor to the high school, which I did not know until he brought that up. He probably, he stayed, he obviously stayed in judo a lot longer. Like the person that I really wanted to figure out uh, what their rank was is, uh, was Noya Ogawa, who of course, like probably in wrestling with the exception of Ronda Rousey, the most, uh, most decorated judo player. But he's someone that, like, they will leverage this judo thing. Like, remember, like, how everyone was like, oh, L. Lindemann's such a great judo player? L. Lindemann did that as a teenager. This guy is going in there as a fully grown man in a fourth-degree black belt, which, I've, which, at least for me, I find fascinating and could be a draw for people. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about this kid. Again, of that second wave of, well, I guess not even the second wave, of the future kids, because you had the Ahashi brothers, and then the subsequent debuts that we saw here, plus Hayakawa, this is the guy 
that really has some buzz to him. So I'm excited to see that debut match. I'm excited to see what comes of uh, his career. First stop in Tokyo, first stop in Kobe, first stop in Osaka, henceforth. I'm really excited about this kid. This is, it's another name to throw on the pile. It's another rookie that Dragon Gate has pumped out. And this one, it seems like people are higher on than the rest of them, which really says something given the talent that has come out of this dojo in the past few years. Yeah, it's something where if we were a morning zoo radio showcase, I'd be asking you to hit the drop for uh, DJ Khaled saying another one each time someone comes out of the Dragon Uh, Gate Dojo. uh, 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 Mike, as someone that works in morning zoo radio, I can confirm you that that is a drop that is used often. And man, I wish I had it here with me right now so I could hit it. That is a great call, my friend. (laughs) It just, you know, it just popped, just popped to the old brain right there. But yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, they've, done their intake class we have not seen anyone else in futures but i don't know if they've closed down the project for the year and they'll start in 2022 with the next class over the next year here but holy crap i mean we're, we're talking about as you just as like you mentioned the dave Meltzer thing they seven people within the last calendar year we're actually this show tomorrow will be i think informally the one year anniversary for uh la Australia. so it's, it's all really kind of cool stuff here uh uh, we do not, as we mentioned before, we will not have cards for the Sapporo shows until after the Corkin show. Uh, the Corkin show starts at 4.30, if somehow the show comes out beforehand, starts at 4.30 Eastern Time, 9.30 GMP, uh, 6.30 Japanese Standard Time. Jay will be there, missing Ho-Ho Loon, as we all will be missing him. Oh, that's as- right, America. Oh, that sucks. He- he's wrestling in a major league. <laughs> I, I you know what i i need to buy his american tour shirt that's a good looking shirt I and thought, i would just i, I would just like that. to exp- i would like to because you know i i mean i dress like a 15 year old it's embarrassing i just wear a lot of band t-shirts and i get a lot of oh what does your shirt mean which is never the answer is never satisfying for them it's always they regret asking as soon as they asked it but i would love to be asked your shirt says ho ho loot american tour 2021 what does that mean and i would you know wrap my arm around their shoulder and say let me tell you a story about my favorite man on earth i i hope i i, I need to see like has he hasn't really tweeted a lot since he's uh been in the states i i hope he's having a great time and i hope he comes back soon yeah gen- genuinely yeah. i hope he's i hope he's doing okay yeah yeah no ho loot like we as he's a very sincere person all of our fear feelings about Ho'olun are sincere no I, I love him I really do I like unironically think he adds a ton to these shows yeah yeah so I was looking at the Corkin show uh really those are the two big future mask matches we said oh that uh, for a second I got really sad because I thought we missed out on the t-shirt but that was just for the Black Friday sale no I want Ho'o to get all the money from the t-shirt I don't want him to only get part of it Come exactly on. Yeah, so uh, other things on this Corican show, uh, the Ahashi Brothers return. Uh, Strong Machine J's on the show. Three guys who we didn't get to see this week. And uh, fun, Natural Vibes versus R.E.D. opener tag. And it'll be interesting to see how, I mean, those last two matches, I mean, I feel like that they will set the stage for the rest of 2021 and how the promotion is starting to shake up going to 2022. So you mentioned this earlier. I will I will close on this thought that if you are diving into this, this is the time to sign up for the Drangate Network. You're going to get eight live shows, including a giant pay-per-view at the end of the year. 
in the month of December. And I was looking at the calendar of what else is going to be on the network. And this is probably not for newer fans, but Mike, I have to mention this to you that on December 20th, being uploaded to the Dragon Gate Network is a Toriumon Mexico show from August 3rd, 2002. And I cannot figure out why they are uploading this show. This is a random Toriumon Mexico show that I maybe there's historical significance to it that I'm not aware of. I guess I'll figure that out when I watch the show. Semi main event, two out of three falls match Anthony W. Mori and Taiji Ishimori versus Yashini and Yoshino. And the main event is a two out of three falls six man tag Hector Garza, Super Crazy, and Toru Owashi versus Latin Lover Milano Collection AT and the man formerly known as Essa Rios. I have got to watch this. I am so into this card. I'm sold now. Just, to, I, I mean, Esa Rios is in the main event of a Torimon Mexico show. I mean, what, what, what's there not to love there? Yeah, no, it, it, it's. I wonder if that tape was like because they would do this uh, for Vamos Amigos, their television show back then. That like every few months they would do a check in in Mexico, and they would have like stuff from like the upcoming class year. I wonder if like. Because that would have been the lead up before Taichi Shimori's debut. So the fact that Taichi Shimori was on was in the semi main event there probably was featured pretty heavily. Well, so. But, so it's not it's not his debut, which I thought it might have been, but he debuted in May, and then he doesn't come to Japan until two thousand three. He works that right. weird Wrestle One show that had Goldberg on it. That was his Japanese landing. And then from there, he's Toriumon X into New Japan in 2004. And then from there, the rest of his career is fascinating. But it's just just a it's just a random Toriumon Mexico show. I'm fascinated by this. I can't wait to watch this when it's uploaded. Oh, for sure. And the shows, just because I said we do this at, at the top, uh, Wednesday the 1st, Cork and Hall, uh, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th, so this weekend, there'll be Hikaido. They are back at the soccer arena. It is the Sapporo E1 Stadium. Then they're taking off a week. Good for them because, gosh, they have like 24 hours to get from Tokyo to Hokkaido. And I looked at what you have to do if you're taking the train. That is not a fun day in the train. Uh, but they will be back then on the 11th, so the next Saturday, for their farewell show in Kyoto, which, I mean, you never know what happens in Kyoto case. You never know. That's that's what they like to tell us, at least. Then they have the final cork in the year on the 15th. They have final gate on the 26th. That was a week after the UT and SBK homecoming show in Aichi. So they'll be sticking around there. And then they close out the year, as they always do, with their farewell and the friendly confines of Kobe Samba Hall on the 28th. And then, as you mentioned, Torimon uploads. Is that the only Torimon upload? They usually have two. They usually have one at the front of the month, too. Yeah, this the schedule that was shifted. They haven't been doing a, a beginning of the month upload recently. I don't know why that is, but that is the only classic upload I see right now, and that is going to go up on the twentieth of December. Yeah, so big month. It, it's worth it. By the time you hear this, don't, don't sign up on the thirtieth with the way that. Uh, actually, no, you you couldn't sign up on the twentieth on the thirtieth because it's already the first in Japan. So yeah, go ahead and sign up. This is probably the most bang for your month. Bang for your buck month possible cases. We almost reach the end of hour two on the show, but we've been going long. Is there anything else you want to hit on before we got out of here? 
Uh, no, that is it. I'm on Twitter at underscore in your case. Mike is on Twitter at Fuji Heya with two eyes like Don Fuji. And the show can be found at Open Voice Gate on that platform. Well, Case did the, uh, the, did the farewell for us. But for Case, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week to talk about the big Cork and Hall show and the Sapporo triple header. Take care, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.